Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host Alejandro Rojas and I have Jason Las Vegas McClellan with me. Hey Jason. Hello sir. How are you today? Good, good, good. And I have someone else to introduce. We have Lee Big Apple Spiegel on the phone with us. Did you did you call me Lee Big Apple <laughs> Spiegel? Well, I almost went into your last name before I did your your nickname. But all of the co-hosts on the show, I give them a, a nickname for each show, and uh, of course, the only one we have is Jason. So, but uh, because you're co-hosting this show with us, that I, I had to give you a nickname, and you're you're Lee Big Apple Spiegel. Oh, Lee Big Apple. Okay, yeah, I, I, I almost screwed I, it up, but. No, no, I I accept that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Do you like it, Big Apple? Um, I I do. Uh, I I don't like living here anymore, but I I accept really? the title. Really? Why not? Because I've been here way too long for any human to have this experience. Uh, uh, yeah. It, most it's, people it's, get over it in three to four years, but Lee's been there way beyond that. Yeah. So I, oh, I understand. Oh yeah. I mean, I I've seen the advent while, while living here of first um uh, digital cameras so that so that e- wow. no, matter wh- no matter where you walk um people are not paying attention to what they're doing and where they're walking they're only looking through their viewfinders oh, and yeah. they, they, they walk around like they're zombies you know snapping pictures here and there damn um, tourists uh, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you this. I'm sure that I annoy people when I do this, but mm-hmm. I am so fed up um, over after all these years of people just deciding. Well, it's time for us to take a a picture of each other, and they just stop on on the sub on the subway, on the sidewalks, wherever they want, and feel like they're gonna they're gonna take up the space. Of taking pictures of each other, and they kind of expect that everybody else is going to walk around them, you know. Those uh, dang sons of guns. So yeah, maybe that's I, why New Yorkers are not nice to tourists, uh, because you know they annoy them. Uh, could be, could be. And uh, it's I, illegal in New York, right, to be messing with your cell phone and walking around now. Oh yeah, yeah. And mm. and and my my other gripe. My mm-hmm. big gripe right now is now wherever you go, I mean everywhere, and I really just want to lash out at people. Everybody's walking around, texting, 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 and so they're not looking where they're walking because they're so involved mm-hmm. with what their thumbs are doing and they're looking down, and so they're not even looking oh, anywhere man. where they're walking. And that's, these it's people, like, yeah, they're either taking pictures and taking up too much space, or they're texting and bumping into things. It I, sounds like to me, it's time you move to Florida. Florida, yeah. 
Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I used to think that Florida would be nice, and maybe I could retire and become one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, that's those. what I mean. It sounds He's like... He's calling you old and grouchy, Lee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jason, I've, you would... I've, I've, I've always the audience was supposed to catch on to that, but not Lee. Well, I've, I've always thought that, that I could retire and, and get a job at Disney World and work as one of those uh, one of those bus drivers, you know, who picks people up at the resorts and takes them. Oh, yeah. Them, you'd you be know, good at and, that. And, uh, they actually have a bunch of senior citizens who do that, uh-huh. and, and and I thought, boy, yeah, this could be good for me. Yeah, because because I always thought I'd look good in a uniform. Yeah, I've heard that the ladies text us about that. Lee looks oh, great in a uniform. Do they? Okay. Lee looks I would like great to see Polly Lee Spiegel as a bus driver. Maybe we should yeah. hire him for the UFO Congress and have him shuttle people around. That's a good idea. Uh, you know, I actually used to do that. Um, before I came to New York, I for a short time I worked uh, in New Hampshire, in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, at a place called um, the Mount Washington Hotel. Beautiful, beautiful place, sitting right at the base of the magnificent Mount Washington. And you and drove their shuttle bus. I one of the things I was I was I did two things. I was a car runner, and what that meant was uh, I would be at the, the front door of the hotel, and as people came in to check into the hotel, they'd take their bags out. I would take their car and drive it down this long hill into this vast parking lot, and then I'd run back. Uh, up to the front door and hang their keys up and give them their ticket. Uh, and then when they would leave the hotels... Yeah, the valet uh, thing. We, we yeah, know how I, that works. Okay. So so then what I also had to do, the, the hotel was always filled up. And so, as as you know, when you're doing things like a UFO conference, you have to use other local hotels or places for people to stay. Mm-hmm. And it was my job to shuttle people in this big van uh, back and forth from the hotel to the places where they were staying. And uh, they would, they would of course, let us have tips. And uh, I had a little tip cup that said tips and and the, the description uh, of what tips stand for. And I don't even know if most people know what TIPS stands for. No. And that's where I learned this. TIPS, to ensure proper service. Oh, interesting. Pay me off or I'm going to treat you like crap. Or I'm going to run you off the road. Right? <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, well it sounds like you have the appropriate experience. So yeah. I can see people really enjoying that, having Lee on the intercom, driving the shuttle, yeah. entertaining them with great UFO stories while they get transported. Yeah. And Which yeah. reminds me, that's what this show's about is UFOs. Right. Um, it's it's kind of we're getting into Lee's history and background, which uh, I guess will be something new for people. People probably don't know that. I didn't know some of this about you. But anyway, for anybody who might not know, Lee writes about UFOs and weird stuff for Huffington Post, and he is based out of New York, and his office is near Ariana Huffington herself. In fact, when Jason, when you went out there, you got to see Ariana. An Ariana sighting. An Ariana sighting, yes. I didn't get to when I was out there. She wasn't in the office, but... uh, that's pretty cool. But let's get into some UFOs and stuff. And just so people know why we have two That's co-hosts right. today is that we're doing something a little different because, uh, well, we've done this before. This is our year in review, uh, talking about UFOs and our, our top UFO stories. And so we're all going to go over that. However, before we get into that, 
Let us talk about the UFO news stories of the week. And as usual, we'll start off with Mr. Jason McClellan. Of course, it was a holiday week, so uh, there wasn't a whole lot of news. But do you have a story you want to talk about? Sure, but uh, I will point out, you say as usual. I will point out that last week you cheated and you went first. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so not always usual, but mostly. Mostly. Uh, I, I want to mention a story, Alejandro, and I know the wonderful listeners of this show are, are tired of hearing us talk about this, but uh, I'm going to talk about another celebrity talking about UFOs. Because See, and I love this. I think this stuff is great, and uh, the person I'm talking about this time is Aerosmith's Joe Perry. And Joe Perry was on the popular uh, podcast, the Nerdist podcast, it's a big thing with geek culture, and geek culture is you know running the world right now. Mm-hmm. So the Nerdist podcast had Joe Perry on, and they were talking about a book he released earlier in the year. And Joe was telling a story about how he takes his he loves being on the road, and he takes his family with him. And to do that, he bought a tour bus, and so they all tour around together. And when they're going from one location to another, having his own tour bus gives him the freedom to veer off and go other places that he wants to see. And he used Roswell, New Mexico as an example. And he went on and explained how he's always been interested in UFOs and how early in his relationship with his wife, um, the two would like actively seek out, you know, back in the day of VHS videos, they would look for VHS videos of UFO sightings <laughs> and watch those together. They loved watching UFO wow. videos. Um, but he said he's he's been very fascinated by it and even talked about uh, a vacation property, I think, that uh, their family had. And they would go in New Hampshire, uh, a lake house, and they'd go out and they would occasionally see things in the sky that would uh, move a way that uh, he said that it shouldn't move. He said he's not positive what what he saw, and you know that's the case with many UFO sightings. You see something weird in the sky that you can't explain, that defies your understanding of what things should do in the sky, and it makes you scratch your head. And he says that's what it did for him. He says he doesn't know one way or the other, but he's got an open mind about the subject, and he's got to believe that they're out there. So. Why are we talking about celebrities and UFOs? People always say that. Who cares about celebrities? They're idiots. Move on. But this is important, again, because celebrities really have the pulse of the general public. Mm-hmm. What they, they have many millions of fans. So when they talk about something, their fans, their ears perk up. They listen. They go, wow, this person's talking about this subject. That's interesting. Maybe I should look into that too. And that's what happens with a lot of these cases. And when somebody as big as Joe Perry from a giant rock band, Aerosmith, comes out and talks about UFOs and says, yeah, I believe that stuff, that is just working in favor of making it a more acceptable topic to talk about in the mainstream. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to be a little ornery here because uh – even though there are a lot of people who are very vocal, the celebrity haters who will hate on us uh, talking about celebrities and UFOs, who cares what those think? They think those stories are often very, very popular. So I think a lot of people agree with us and want to read about this. And I just, I just thought of something. Maybe it's because these celebrities are like these are super cool, typically super ultra cool, uh, mostly very attractive people. So maybe they're just jealous. They're self-conscious. They're jealous of these people, so they hate them instead of embracing their coolness. I mean, these guys are all super cool people, and I think that I love celebrity UFO stuff. What do you think, Lee? 
Well, I, I agree. I, I like the piece that Jason wrote about Joe Perry. And what I liked about him, he actually, in the quotes from the interview that he had done, he sounds like he's, he, he was very credibly talking about seeing some weird things in the sky. And he wasn't trying to over-embellish it at all, as, as some celebrities have done in the past. Uh, where, where they just want to kind of add some more to their fame and fortune. Oh, by, by talking about, well, the UFO that, that, that I can claim that I've seen. Uh, I, I think he's genuinely seen some strange things and he's not trying to oversell it, uh, is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and I like what he had to say. Uh, and I could kind of relate to, to part of the story because when I was growing up, uh, in New Hampshire, um, my family often had we rented houses on lakes uh, up in New Hampshire because pe- that's what people do in the summertime in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm not saying that I ever had an experience, but but people do see a lot of strange things at night, especially in the lakes region, uh, which is not far from uh, the White Mountains where Betty and Barney Hill mm-hmm. had their very famous experience. Um, and New Hampshire is one of those kind of places where at night, uh, whether, no matter whether it's winter or summer, where you can, it's so clear at night because you're not near any major cities and you can, you can really see a lot of the Milky Way up there. So it's very easy to th- see things that are strange. I used to see strange things in the sky myself up there. So, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, the Joe Perry sighting, was really good or his story of it was great and um and i I agree with you alejandro that that they are popular when we hear these kinds of stories that it does make uh the public want to know more Mm -hmm. you know because because i mean these are people who who the public pay money to buy tickets to go see and so almost anything that a celebrity will say during interviews, the public wants to hear about it. What? And I want to ask you about this. This is a story we covered recently about a celebrity, uh, and that was Elephant. <laughs> you know, you, oh, your man. interview with her, or her interviewing you, and it was kind <laughs> of a quirky, funny, weird interview. Um, like, how did you feel going into it, and and do you feel it had a positive overall effect? Well, I think we should we should at least let the, the listeners know who Elephant is. Yeah. <laughs> Elephant, because I didn't know who she was. Uh, I got a call. Uh, my my editor Buck uh, one day came to me and said, "Rolling Stone magazine uh, wants to know if you'd like to go to their studios and be interviewed by a rock star." And I said, "Well, sure, I guess." And I said, "Well, who is this person?" And he said, "Well, it's, it's a it's a it's a young." Uh, rocker rapper from sweden and her name is elephant and that's how you're supposed to pronounce it it's elephant and and i said well what what's her interest in ufos and apparently rolling stone was promoting her new album her new provocative video and they brought her to new york and said would you like to do an interview at rolling stone studios and she said yes and they said, "What w- would you like to do an interview with someone? And what? who would you like us to get? And what would be the topic you'd want to talk about? She said, well, I've always, always been interested in, and I think about UFOs every day. Uh, and they went, oh, okay, fine. We'll find you someone. <laughs> Could there be anyone in New York City who might know about UFOs? Uh, and that that's what led them to, to me. And, and so I, I went up there. 
Uh, and we sat there in Rolling Stone Studios. We did it on 9-11. Uh, I just remember that day. And um, we sat across each other from a table. And you could tell that she wasn't very knowledgeable about UFOs, which was okay. Uh, she had a, a bunch of questions to ask. But some of the things that stood out, like, for example, she asked me if I ever felt that I had seen something that perhaps could have been maybe a spaceship from somewhere else. And I very honestly said to her, um, well, uh, yes, I believe that I have seen something that could be from somewhere else. And her one word response to that was cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah cool. it's so funny because she was like, cool. Okay. And, and, and then she moves on instead of delving into details. But yeah, exactly. she's not exactly. a professional interviewer either. She's just kind of some some kid really compared to us all even you jason because you're well into your 30s now yeah Um, and and and, you know at at some point during the interview she she let it be known that she would love to become one of those alien hybrid baby mothers yeah and so did you lee so did you. Uh, well, I mean, I, <laughs> you, I, I, she I, said that you told her to get in line. I did. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I said, well, you're going to have to get in line. And what 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 they didn't show you in the interview, because we we did the interview for an hour and they trimmed it down to three minutes when they finally released it. But so there were portions of the interview that you never saw. And, and one of those things moments was when I said to her, you know, if you're really serious about becoming an alien baby mother, I know some people. I can connect you with certain people. Uh, you know, I said it. What was her reaction to that? Well, her reaction was, cool. here it comes. Cool. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so what do you think, though? I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, <clears throat> I know it was difficult uh, for you because she didn't know a whole lot, and you know, not delving and, and sharing her own kind of weird ideas. But um it, the video came across, I felt, and I, maybe I think Jason feels the same. He can let us know as endearing, a bit endearing. You know, she seemed like this sweet girl who yes, just yes. kind of a cool uh, kid uh, who had an interest. And so it came across really well uh, and kind of fun and funny. Uh, what do you think, Jason? I agree. I thought it was done really well. Yes, it was it was silly and lighthearted, but that was the purpose of it. But it did show this popular musician um, with a genuine interest in the topic having a discussion with a serious UFO researcher. I thought it was very cool of Rolling Stone to do that pairing, to actually take the time to do that. And I I hope that it was received well. I mean, I, I thought it was it was certainly a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And I think but mostly it was a, a very positive thing. Yeah, I, I I felt it was fun to do. I like meeting her. Uh, she she's very easy on the eyes. She she's she's very pretty. And I've gone into um, in, in, into her sites and I've looked at some of her videos. And she is very talented. Mm-hmm. And I can I can see why she's a, a kind of a big up and coming growing star in the music industry especially in sweden she she she's a good singer she does very provocative videos and you, you kind of have to do that if you want to uh, make it these days mm-hmm. in the music world and so yeah I, g- I gave her a lot of kudos but boy you know she never called me oh <laughs> dang it well uh, she's a busy her. lady so next time she's in new york you know i'm sure she's gonna want to yeah, i'm sure up. she'll look you up yeah yeah 
Okay. So I'm going to go into to my story, and I'll just uh, – my story and, – and I just posted this last night, and it's kind of funny. So um, <clears throat> aliens being accused of making strange symbols in barley crop in Mexico. So uh, essentially there was a storm on New Year's Eve that went into to Christmas – or I mean Christmas Eve that went into Christmas morning. When the storm was over, over some of the residents found these strange formations in uh, – the the field uh, of barley in this small town outside of Mexico City, uh, not too far from it, in a te- in a state called Texacoco. Anyway, uh, it went around that people said that they they might have seen aliens rocking walking around in this field. People said they saw flashes of light during the storm, and so it started to spread that aliens made some formations in this field. Uh, people who have gone and looked at it, uh, you know, we're assuming that there would be some sort of crop circles. And on the social media, it's been kind of funny because they posted that the aliens must have been drunk or that these are crap circles because they're just kind of unorganized messes. Well, uh, so the story's been out. Were these drunk aliens or what? I, I immediately recognized it because having, you know. Uh, known about crop circles for a while and seen the work of other crop circle researchers. I know crop circles talk about, and Jacques Vallée talked about this, that these uh, crop that can be flattened in, in these random patterns due to high winds. And so I went and found some pictures, and sure enough, it looks just like that. So for me, it was case closed. What's been interesting is a reaction because now people are saying they think that aliens created uh, neural pathway type of crop circles in this field. One, uh, it, it looks exactly like high wind. Two, if you put the neural pathway pictures that they're showing next to the images of what's in this field, it doesn't look anything like it. So if you put these three pictures together, you know, what's in Mexico, the the uh, crop that's been affected by high wind and the neural pathways. It looks nothing like the neural pathways. It looks very much like the wind damage. People come on. I mean, people were shocking me. This is one of them where I was like so disappointed with the Facebookers when they're putting this neural pathway stuff out there. Come on. I mean, people are really, uh, you know, I think grasping at straws trying to make an alien connection on this one but people are flocking so even the russian news had a drone go over the area and you see tons of people and there's there's traffic jams and all these people coming to visit these alien symbols yeah and you're you're right i i love the pictures uh that you that you put into your story that showed like hundreds of cars just stopped along the way yeah uh for people to try and see anything but and, and as you know and as most people who know about crop circles if if you're going to look at a crop circle the best vantage point is not from ground level but above yeah uh and so i was thinking well what, what are all these people trying to see because you can't really see much f- if you're just going to get out of your car and look at look into the field and i'm you, sure you, they're you, trampling everything yeah yeah that that was that was a, a concern of mine too it always is whenever i read stories about new crop circles i always wonder how can the owners of the field really keep the people out because yeah. especially if there are a lot of people that want to see these things. So that's why it's it's always really important to get aerial views of of these formations as quickly as possible before those crop circles go away. Yeah. A good story. Good story, Alejandro. Thanks. Any thoughts, Jason? Well, I remember there was a uh, 
a farmer in the Czech Republic earlier this year who wanted to sue aliens for the damage to his crops. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. I would, so, I would love. To, I would love to know what lawyer would take on that case. Yeah, I don't think any did. I don't think Danny that went anywhere. Yeah, Daniel Sheehan. <laughs> he would take it on. He should. I wonder if he knew about that. We should email him and say, "Go help this guy." So, and, and, um, and, and who who would be the lawyer for the defense? <laughs> oh, it could be practically anybody. They should get the guy from Seinfeld. I know Jackie, uh, Jackie, whatever his name Jackie was, Childs. <laughs> Jackie, Jackie Childs. Jackie Childs. That'd be right. I know that would be great. You're saying aliens did this to your crop? <laughs> That's unheard of. <laughs> okay, so um, I think is did anybody else want to talk about a new story from the week? It was a nope, holiday, so it's not there's, like there's, there's much there. Plenty of other stories to talk about. Yeah, let's get into the yeah. year in review. So when we do this. Uh, what we typically do is go kind of a round circle, you know, uh, we have Jason and then Lee and I, and we talk about, you know, go down our list of top stories, and then we talk about those. However, I want to make a couple notes. Uh, well, I want to actually bring up two topics that I think you all are enthusiastic about as well, that I think were really important for the year. So I want to start off with these two topics. And the first topic that I want to start off on uh, is Chile and Cefa'a. They made, Cefa'a is a Committee for the Study of Anomalous Aerial Phenomena, and it is um, the Chilean government's UFO organization. It's under their version of the FAA, but they work with the military. In fact, it's a retired general who heads up the group. Um, and they have made the news quite a bit this year, and they're, I think they're doing some really important work. So I'll just uh, really quick highlight, you know, the things that they made news for. There was a sighting uh, that they said uh, they felt was an, an anomalous. These were some pictures uh, taken by some miners. Uh, there was also, and that made international news, they also had a meeting with some of the officials around their country to determine whether or not UFOs posed a threat. Their end analysis was no, that uh, whatever this phenomena is and that it is real, everybody, you know, that was came to the table with the belief that there's a real phenomena here that could be extraterrestrial in nature, but that it is not malicious or dangerous. Uh, the only danger is posed from pilots being distracted. The other thing that they did uh, was they've been uh, reaching out to other countries, uh, including and more recently with France, because France has an official government UFO organization as well called the Japan, which is under their space organization, more like NASA. But they are assisted by the Aeronautical and Astronautical Association of France, which is called the 3AF. And uh, this is a group of... Sci uh, engineers and scientists, essentially people in the aeronautical industry who are interested in this sort of thing, very similar to the United States, very prestigious American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. And this group in France has also been interested in UFOs. They've had a committee that uh, they've uh, organized and has been uh, working for quite a few years that's been looking into UFOs. It's called Sigma. The newest version is Sigma 2. But anyways, this committee created a report a couple of years ago where they said, yeah, we, we conclude that 
Uh, UFOs are real and it could be of extraterrestrial origins. And these are like some of the top engineers and scientists in France in this area. And they said now that they will uh, assist Cefa in Chile with the investigation of their cases. So all of this made some uh, international news and uh, is really cool stuff. I think that this is what Cefa is doing is, is incredible. And I agree with you. I love the story. And and actually, I'm working on a piece now in which I'm going to be linking to your story because <clears throat> I've been kind of formulating a piece for a while now um, of, of, of how scientists th- – th- there's, there's a belief uh, throughout the UFO community that uh, there are no scientists out there who think that there's anything of any uh, importance about UFOs that should be studied. And I've always maintained that that's not true. Uh, Only because you only, you will mostly hear from scientists who will say, well, no, there really is not anything out there. And I've got kind of a gripe uh, against people like Stephen Hawking, um, Buzz Aldrin, the uh, Lord Martin Rees of the United Kingdom, who's the like the top astronomer there. These are all people who they know that they have the public's attention when they talk, but they all come together and, and, and there are different quotes from them, but all basically saying that anybody who sees UFOs are weirdos and kooks. And that's just not true and it's not an appropriate thing to say anymore. And so I'm on kind of a personal mission to to let people know, like you've done with your story, Alejandro, that there is really strong interest and in science. And as you mentioned, the CNES, uh, France's National Center for Space Studies, they held a big um, workshop uh, in Paris in July. And the only two American scientists who were invited to do presentations were Jacques Vallée and Dr. Richard Haynes. And, and they, all of the papers of the scientists who were there, uh, are going to be released very soon. Uh, there was no media, uh, there, and, and that was deliberate. They didn't want any media to be there. They just, they didn't want any distractions. They just wanted to, to have them present papers on UFOs and to come up with ideas of the best ways to, to look into UFOs, to study them, to analyze them, to share information. And your story is like right on top of it. it it's like, yes, there are st- strong individuals and organizations that are coming together. The fact that, that France and Chile have signed this agreement to study UFOs is amazing. And I also want to say, you know, let's, let's give kudos where kudos are deserved, Leslie Kane mm-hmm. is 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 the person who is this is like her personal mission to bring these kinds of organizations together, and you got to give her all the credit for for doing this. She knows who these people are, they respect her, they invite her to their meetings in South America, and she writes about them, and she's doing a great job of bringing serious-minded people together. Mm-hmm. Well, I think these Sepa Ah stories have mostly reached the public because of her coverage yeah. of them, which is great. And like you said, that's what's cool. People say scientists aren't involved. And I always say scientists are interested, but typically not scientific organizations. But 3AF is a scientific organization. And then you mentioned Dr. Richard Hines, 
who's part of NICAP, or NARCAP, NARCAP which yeah. is a uh, U.S. Uh, scientific organization, essentially, that looks into aerial phenomena, essentially, a.k.a. UFOs. Um, so those are two scientific organizations, and uh, CEFA uh, also works very closely with uh, Richard Haynes and NARCAP. So what are your thoughts, Jason? Well, I, I just want to say that I, I get – I dislike when groups uh, such as CEFA, a group – that takes UFO research very seriously and has reached the conclusion that uh, UFOs are definitely real, it's a real phenomenon, um, then come out with the comment that UFOs don't pose a risk. You know, that seems short-sighted to me, and fortunately they do point out that that is just based on what they've observed so far. So, so far they have not been a risk, but they do point out that... Uh, you know, being scientists, they want to measure risk scientifically, but, you know, it's hard to do that with something that, uh, you know, happens here and there and kind of catches them off guard. So they're basically considering possibility and probability, they say. But, uh, you know, again, when you're acknowledging there's an unknown something in the sky, that's a risk. You can't say it's not a risk. Well, well I think... If, if you're looking at the intentions behind or and that's what they're looking at, is this a, a dangerous sort of, you know, malicious sort of thing where uh, whatever this is, is, uh, you know, seeking to um, uh, do any harm. But you can measure risk, especially that's an assumption. That's an assumption that every UFO is connected. It's coming from the same place or but, the same people. But regardless, now we have decades of data. And you can do statistics off of decades of data. So you can take a UFO sightings um, versus how many of you, these UFO sightings have resulted in any sort of danger. And that then gives you some statistics to at least uh, measure the percentage or the likeliness of, of the risk. Uh, I would also add to that, I, I think part of the risk factor uh, and it's a very real factor. Uh, Dr. Richard Haynes, uh, this is one of the reasons why he formed NARCAP is because pilots, NARCAP is the only place where pilots will go to to report their own encounters with things that they, that were unexplained and which they felt could have posed uh, a danger factor uh, for, for them and for aviation industry. It's not that there are records that indicate that UFOs are attacking our commercial airlines or anything like that. No, that doesn't seem to be the the, the problem. The problem is, um, as as one of you mentioned earlier, that that when pilots are distracted from what they're supposed to be doing in the cockpit, just controlling the aircraft, and something happens that they encounter that they don't understand what it is and whatever this thing is comes very close to their aircraft they have to make split-second decisions on how to maneuver away from or around what they perceive as a possible dangerous situation mm -hmm. situation and sometimes they don't have a lot of time to make these decisions and and so that's where the possible risk factor is in will they make the right decision to protect themselves, their aircraft, and whatever passengers they have on board too. And I well, guess and to, to me, to me, that the near miss cases, um, you know, are completely yeah. different from the distracted pilots. You know, distraction is different yeah. than right. the near misses where the pilots actively have to swerve to miss these objects. And there have been those cases, certainly. There's a real popular one, uh, Delta-shaped craft in, 
in the 90s in the UK. I think it's a great case where the pilots had to swerve out of the way. Uh, you know, Lieutenant Coyne, uh, you know, it's really that was a close encounter, very mm-hmm. near miss. So, yeah, there have been those near misses where the pilots feel they have to swerve out of the way. And so I that do was, like that the UK Air Prox Board and other yes, official yes. bodies are actually looking into these near misses too. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, for anybody who who goes to uh, to look at my my top stories uh, on HuffPost about UFOs and ETs, the first story that I that I list there was about the pilots near miss with the UFO over Heathrow Airport. Yeah. Uh, because that was that was an important story because we even though um, we didn't know about this until January of this year, but it, because the event happened six months earlier, so it was like in the middle of 2013, but it, it, it involved a commercial airline pilot who reported a near miss with a ball-shaped UFO uh, near Heathrow Airport in London, and the UK's Airprox Board, uh, their their air safety organization, they they spent months uh, looking into this, and the pilot believed. His aircraft was going to collide with whatever this unknown object was. So there's the it's it's a combination of distraction and oh my God, what are we going to do if we think that we're going to collide with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have to make split second decisions um, of what to do. So yeah, that yeah. that that becomes a concern for the aviation industry, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, bringing even just you know like us debating this here. Even bringing this topic to the table in a serious manner, uh, such as Zepha has done, I think is so important. And, and, uh, another reason why their work this year has been, uh, really one of the, the most important things going on this year, I think. I agree. And what I also love about the, the whole Sefa thing is is these are individuals who they don't have to be putting their names out out there on the line, but they're doing it. They're doing mm-hmm. it as indivi- as individuals and as an organization. So they're basically proclaiming to the world, "Look, look at what we're doing. We think this is something that merits scientific interest, so why not follow our suit? Follow yeah. follow suit, you know, with what we're doing." And I guess one more thing to mention is, you know, General Bermudez did come to the UFO Congress, and and I do a talk on these official organizations, and I thought something that he said there was really important. (coughs) Excuse me. And he's following through on that, which he said his main goal is to network with other uh, governments around the world, uh, which is what they're doing. And his ultimate goal was for the UN to have a committee that looks over this sort of uh, stuff and – helps the the world network on this sort of thing. So uh, it's great that he's moving forward on that. And, of course, uh, when I was on Coast to Coast the other day, and, Lee, you were on too, I mentioned Mm -hmm. how you were part of an uh, uh, effort to do that at the UN. That kind of has been stalled out. But um, he wants to reinvigorate that, and, you know, hopefully he does. So he's moving forward on that, and that's really cool. So I guess we should move on to the next story, and I think you'll both agree, uh, well, the next topic uh, because there's multiple stories uh, related to this one, and I think you'll both agree because I know this is a big topic for Jason and Lee. Uh, this was a big story for you, and that is astrobiology and the findings in astrobiology. I am particularly interested in it in the microbes, the actual, you know, discovery of extraterrestrial life, these microbes. Uh, there have been several meteorites that uh, scientists have said uh, demonstrate uh, or have microbes that are extraterrestrial. 
Typically, they come from the Center of Astrobiology at the University of Buckingham, although uh, mainstream science has been very critical of their work. Uh, they feel they found the smoking gun. Uh, more recently, however, a separate group of international scientists have another meteorite that they say they have been able to prove comes from Mars, also uh, has uh, microbial life or evidence of microbial life uh, from Mars. And so I think more and more this is cool that science, and there are other cases which you guys I'm sure will bring up. But, uh, and then of Lee, of course, you talked to one of these scientists. Well, we had him at the Congress last year, and right. uh, you interviewed him, and that, that uh, story went viral of your interview with him. But uh, there are other cases, but more and more scientists are absolutely convinced that this is proof of extraterrestrial life and i think that is very exciting i want to go to to jason first well i agree that it's very exciting and we talked a lot last year about uh meteorites and teams of scientists claiming the discovery of extraterrestrial life and like you said we've seen more of that this year um Richard Hoover was a fantastic uh, story at the beginning of the year, thanks to Lee Spiegel. Talking, and thanks uh, to you for getting him to come to the Congress. That was right. absolutely that was right. that was fantastic. A big big score for us. And what the guy had to say was amazing. Um, you know, and we've we've heard more and more now about um, Mars. I mean, it was a really exciting year for astrobiology. And, you know, Curiosity detected methane again on Mars. And then more recently, uh, very late in the year, detected a huge spike in methane and uh, organics. So, and more and more evidence of uh, past vast lakes on Mars. Um, lots of good signs that life existed there and quite possibly still exists there today. Um, and then we had so many stories about just how the possibilities of life everywhere keep growing and growing and growing. And, you know, scientists determined that space dust contains water molecules. So there's water flying everywhere in space. Um, so that's water, but then uh, just our understanding of life keeps growing. They found uh, microbes in an asphalt lake. Uh, you know, all these weird places that previously we assumed life couldn't couldn't exist and drilling into uh, Antarctica, into deep depths of the ice, pulling out um, ecosystems, thriving ecosystems. It's just expanding our understanding of life as we know it and helping scientists, astrobiologists expand where they consider in the universe that life might exist as well. And I... You know, I don't like to be one to make predictions, and this isn't necessarily a prediction, but I'm saying that because of the accelerated pace that astrobiology is moving right now, how many things are being discovered, and just where we are in space exploration at this point, I will not be surprised in the least if in 2015 we do get our first mostly confirmation that extraterrestrial life exists. Again, we're talking about science and all science. You know, people like to think mainstream science is this happy family and whatever they <laughs> say, it's very easy for them. And UFO is the only field where sci where people disagree and have fights and nobody believes what they're saying. No, that's how science works. So, mainstream scientists are always disagreeing with each other. And as Richard Hoover, and I'll let you tell that story, Lee, but as Richard Hoover says, you know, there are some uh, scientists who or many scientists who refute claims, and even some who may cover up 
uh, discoveries. But uh, I, I do think that we are on the cusp of it, and I wouldn't be surprised if 2015 we do get some sort of serious likelihood, some serious evidence indicating that extraterrestrial life has been found and we'll start a very serious investigation into that and get a lot of scientists on board to say, yeah, we think that's right. We don't think that's contamination. We don't think this is a, a, a false reading. We think you've got it there. Yeah, and, and that's for just me. me. <laughs> well, no, you're absolutely right. There's so many scientists coming from different places who are starting to talk about uh, that that there is some kind of evidence out there if you just look for it and find it. P part of the problem with it, with this is I know, in the, especially in the case of uh, of astrobiologist Richard Hoover, he, he was stifled by by the agency that he worked for for over forty years. It was NASA. Uh, NASA doesn't like to admit anything. Um, we all know that. We we kind of take that for granted, um, and. When he when he spoke at the UFO Congress th this year, I, I thought that, that he was he was riveting. He made some amazing points, and 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 part of what he discovered he had he had seen pictures uh, from Mars uh, that 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 he said when he immediately looked at these pictures he knew right away that he was looking at some kind of fossilized remains in some rock there, and. And he tried to tell people about this, to say, hey, look at what I see. I, I recognize this as a form of fossilization that we know here on Earth. And before he knew it, I mean, and, and he was able to get, you know, he took some of the original pictures. So he had the pictures of the fossils. And then, faster than you can say E.T. phone home, <laughs> uh, suddenly those fossilized remains were gone. And I don't just mean that they were that the pictures were taken away he believes and he talked about this at the UFO Congress that someone deliberately may have sent a signal from earth to whichever mars rover it was that took the pictures and instructed the rover to use one of its instruments like a like a drill and to physically drill the remains of the fossil away so there was nothing left to be seen and and he raised a stink about that. The, the, basically said, here is evidence, and and someone in position of authority is basically saying, we don't want this evidence to come out. The only way we can get around it is to destroy it. Like whoa! But didn't yeah. he say they had like an official answer as to why they destroyed the rock? I don't remember. I can't remember. I I thought there yeah. was something. But he he just. I, I thought it was was perhaps accidental. Oh yeah, I think you're right. I think they said it was something like that. Yeah, and 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 if that's the case, how do you how does some, how does an accident like that happen so coincidentally? Or um, yeah, is, is it a coincidence? Although he, I, I got I took away from it that it wasn't NASA, quote unquote. But kind of like what Jason was explaining, how you have all these scientists and they all disagree and argue that yeah. it was uh, a particular people, uh, scientists that just were at odds with this whole thing and possibly accidentally destroyed the rock just so that they could stop talking about it. Isn't that amazing? Because if that's true, then what a sad state of affairs yeah. we, we live in where scientists who... 
you know, presumably you, you, you have to remember these people all had childhoods and they all had dreams of what they wanted to be when they grew up. And they some of them decided to become scientists and really look for things like this. And then when they're faced with the possibility that that there could be actual extraterrestrial evidence out there, then they turn around and go, well, no, we it's not time yet. We we don't think yeah. we should be talking about this yet. It's like, really, guys, what 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 is well, wrong I, with I, this I think picture? I think more than that, it, it just, you know, changes what they've always been led to believe. You know, some people are, are rather than being scientists who are scientifically minded and, and exploring the unknown and trying to prove new things and, and go farther than what we know, um, you know, they kind of get sucked into basically a religion, you know, a, a set of beliefs that the books told me this, my teachers told me this, that's the way it is. These are the laws of physics. None of this can ever be changed. What we know now is all we know, and it becomes a religion. So anything that's counter to that is blasphemous. You know, we won't have any of that. We can't have people destroying science, and that is a real shame, I think. Yeah. That's, what, that's, that, that's part of the history of science tells us that that's how it all evolves that there's always like some maverick person that's like right a and, and like, sadly like science has always been like that you know that guy is saying something different than we believe let's burn him yeah he I mean, can't be there, he can't there, be one of our scientists there was a time when it was generally accepted that the solar system revolved around planet earth and everybody believed that you know, until someone came along and said, nah, "That's probably not really the way it works." Um, you know, it, it's like it's like what Stanton Friedman, our nuclear physicist friend, he always likes to say, and I, I love this phrase. Um, this is one of the rules of being a debunker, whether it's UFOs or anything unexplainable. The one of the rules is, and this is a debunker speaking. Um, my mind is made up already. Don't bother me with the facts. Yeah. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Um, and that's why science and, and especially NASA moves so slowly. I think Richard Hoover's uh, example is, is a really stark one. And, uh, you know, it should have been thoroughly investigated what happened there. And there should have been repercussions if it was done um, maliciously. But uh, I think, you know, NASA as an organization is just extremely careful and conservative. So they've got to have an abundance of evidence before they're going to say anything. Um, <clears throat> but I hope Jason's right. I mean, we're getting so close. And every year, you know, we talk about this. And this year, there have been some great strides made in this arena. Um, so 2015 may be the year. But either way, I think it's going to be soon. And I think... And, you know, uh, before we move away from this, I think that uh, if we make an official discovery like you're talking about, if they say extraterrestrial life has been acknowledged and found, um, I think that's a big deal. And that's going to really change people people's conception of extraterrestrial life and intelligent extraterrestrial life. And I think people are going to be much more open to the idea if we do uh, finally make that official discovery. I, I agree, and, and I don't think that it's going to be necessary for any kind of disclosure um, proclamation to come out either from our government or the United Nations. I don't think it, it'll it'll be necessary for them to say, we know now that there is intelligent extraterrestrial life out there. I think that it would be enough at this point in time for them to just admit that we have found real evidence of 
even microbial life, because that will get the public even more excited about it. Mm-hmm. Because that that's the next, it's like you have to take baby steps. We don't need to know that we're being visited by beings from somewhere else. But if we're told definitively that there are there is life out there of any kind, that's the biggest deal that could happen right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then let's move on uh, to our top stories, and uh, let's start with our guest, Mr. Spiegel. Well, I had a a lot of things uh, to write about. Well, we all did. All three of us wrote about a variety of things. Sometimes we overlap each other. Sometimes we stole from each other, which is always fun to do. Uh, (laughs) I was was still – one of the stories that kind of seeped over from 2013 into 2014 uh, involved – this this maverick man named Paul Hellier. Uh, oh, his it, story it, starts uh, years ago. Yeah, it, exactly, and, and he keeps coming up. He, you know, he he's like that 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 bad penny that keeps showing up again. But in his case, I'm not sure how bad the penny is. But uh, well, it used to be an okay penny, but now it's getting really tarnished. L- yeah, I know. I mean, he he's, for, for the listeners, he's a, uh, a former Canadian defense minister. He helped bring the Canadian armed forces together years ago. And just this past January, uh, this weird story uh, emerged that claimed how the United States government is under control of a shadow organization. It's like, wow, shades of the X-Files. Uh, a shadow organization that's overseen by extraterrestrials. And as crazy as that may seem to some people, there was a related story as part of it that said that former Canadian Defense Minister Paul Hellier uh, was telling Russian TV that aliens have been visiting our planet for thousands of years and that, that he knew about this shadow organization. So it was only by accident that he became part of this Shadow organization story, which which turned out to be, you know, kind of kind of crap anyway, because there was no real 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 proof about it. But the the but the the hellier part of the story um, was real; it wasn't made up because he did actually go on Russian TV at the end uh, of uh, 2013, uh, in in which he was very adamant about talking about how uh, a race of tall whites. Uh, like Scandinavian-looking people, um, were among the 80 organizations of aliens that are visiting Earth. And when when anybody in any kind of political or governmental position starts talking about stuff like that, you, you at least have to listen to what the person has to say. And and, and, and and last year, in fact, Hellier was one of the speakers who testified at the uh, citizen hearing. Uh, on disclosure in Washington, and but he, he kept he kept making appearances and making appearances, getting closer to 2014, and basically the, the, I, I know I don't know how old he is now, but but he he still seems very lucid. And when he was asked on Russian TV, why why does he believe that UFOs are as real as airplanes flying over our heads? He said on TV, and this is a quote. Because I know that they are. And as a matter of fact, they've been visiting our planet for thousands of years. There's just so much evidence. And if anybody will take time off to do a little bit of research and study, you know, you, you will discover this. That part of his statement, I actually believe in. I think that, that anybody who is 
either a hard-nosed skeptic or a debunker of UFOs, these people who claim that only weirdos and kooks see UFOs, my, my opinion is anybody who takes any time to really look into it, like the three of us do, okay, uh, you, you cannot come away feeling that there's nothing going on. I mean, there's so much different kinds of evidence out there, but you got to go find yeah. it. It's, well, it's there. And, and I agree with those aspects of what hell you're saying, and he said that before. And that's great for him to say that, you know, he feels that the evidence is abundant, that if people went and looked, they would see that. He used to say that what really got him into this was Philip Corso's book, uh, where he, uh, you know, was a guy who worked at the Pentagon who said he, he was given some of the stuff from Roswell and he gave it to different people to develop technologies and that he took that book to a friend who was a U.S. general and the general said, yeah, you know, that's, that's real. Um, so, okay, those are personal experiences of him. Uh, or that he has. That's great, and I, I think that's wonderful. He talks about that stuff. I've I've had lunch with the guy. I know that he's such a nice guy. He's a wonderful person. But when he makes definitive statements, like there's eighty something groups of extraterrestrials, uh, and he names these, I know because I know the researchers that he works with that these are things that they say, and you know they're all these very speculative sort of things. Especially a man in his position. It really diminishes his credibility when he says those things. So I think yeah. then he comes across as kind of like a, a a goofball, where it's unfortunate because of his um, position. You know, if he was more careful about what he said, I think it would uh, be more effective and really be more influential to people. I agree with that completely. I mean, there are government officials, there are military personnel who do have personal experiences and have great things to say about this. They're wonderful witnesses to hear from, people who give great testimony. But then, you know, people uh, like this um, who talk and people give them the credibility because of their position, when, you know, people look and see that most, if not all, of what they're saying comes from, you know, third-hand stories and books they've read and things like that, um, you know, unfortunately, when these stories hit the mainstream media, a lot of people don't pay attention to that fact, and they think this guy is speaking from personal experience. Hmm. So I, I do think it's damaging at, at times. And, you know, like you said, Alejandro, his, his story's been out for a long time, and he's talked about this subject for a very long time. But he kept popping up during the year with various stories, including the story about Edward Snowden. Uh, how aliens helped Hitler and now they're helping the U.S. government. Right. And, you know, that was shortly after Hellyer had been on the uh, the Russian TV station talking about it. So he kept popping up again and again related to various stories like it was brand new because, you know, of course not everybody's heard, heard before, but it does sound impressive when you've got this former uh, Canadian minister talking about aliens and how they're here and all these races and all these facts, you know. So people see that as, as something incredible, but uh, they don't look at the information to back that up. Yeah. And and one, one, one final thing that I want to say about Hellier that the two of you would actually relate to in, in, in terms of, of, of trying to figure out why does he say things like this. Uh, when he was on that Russian TV show, he said that, uh, that, as I said, there were 80 different species of aliens. And then he, and he says, some of them look just like us and they could walk down the street and you wouldn't know if you walked past one. He says they're able to get away with that. They had a couple of their ladies dressed as nuns going into Las Vegas to shop and they weren't detected. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that really 
brings frightening images to my mind because the last time I was in downtown Las Vegas just a few weeks ago, there were some women dressed like nuns who had their <laughs> their outfits open and pasties on, so they were exposing themselves <laughs> and walking around. So uh, very frightening. Those could have been aliens, and they're just not That's familiar right. with and, the customs. And, and they exposed themselves. Yeah, so. they, they weren't familiar with You need to cover those up. Up in this planet, uh, from lady. the pla- from the planet Porno. Here's right? a question <laughs> I have though for you guys. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that RT. Uh, I think it, you know it's Russia Today who now goes by RT. Uh, yeah. They've been covering a lot of UFO stuff and especially yeah. kind of more French stuff. They had Stephen uh, Greer and some others. I think they even had Stephen Bassett on. Uh, what is their agenda? Are, is it just that UFO stories, especially the more fringe, are popular? Or are they trying to kind of give the uh, American, you know, kind of give uh, a platform for American conspiracies um, to kind of give us a black eye? Because, of course, Russia is very controlling over their uh, media. Well, I, I have noticed that not only RT for broadcast uh, television, but even um, radio, um, Radio Moscow has, has also come up with stories involving ufo sightings in, in that country uh and and I, I i think not only in in russia but they've actually covered stories that of things that have been uh discussed from other countries so i i'm not sure what, what's is is the climate changing in russian broadcasting uh do they do they want to report on these things seriously or do they think it's like it's like uh, the same version of here in the United States at the end of the 11 o'clock news every night. Uh, they'll, they'll spend the last minute and a half talking about a UFO sighting somewhere and the, the, um, the, the news anchors will laugh about it and then just move on to something else. I don't know if that's what uh, Russian media thinks it's okay to do. Uh, uh, although the stories that I've seen from RT and from Radio Moscow – don't seem to be making fun of UFO stories. So that's kind of interesting. To, and and I'd like to see them do more of this in 2015, and I'll be watching for more of this stuff like this. Yeah, I'm sure they do. They will. What do you think, Jason? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, RT in particular, as well as Voice Russia and some of these other outlets, are extremely large media outlets. So I think they cover a lot of everything. Um, which means they also are going to cover more more UFO things. But, uh, you know, you pointed out media outlets around the world, major media outlets report on this stuff. We see a lot of their stuff. They, yeah. they really, uh, even years ago, they, they were really early at embracing a lot of video content um, for the web and their news stories. So RT's been very good at that. And so I think maybe that's why we see so many more UFO uh, videos from a mainstream outlet like that, uh, just because they're very good at it. But um, it does, I, I think Lee's right. I think the, the climate does seem to be a little more embracing from that media because, uh, yeah, it, it always seems to be presented in a very newsy format. And, uh, you know, without the X-Files music and the, the laughing and the probe jokes, so... It could be safe, too. I kind of feel like they're... Because they're, they do, if you read their media... They, uh, of course, have a totally different slant on American stories, and uh, they don't put America, the U.S., for obvious re- reasons, I guess, in a good light. But, you know, Putin is very controlling over the media there, and you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And it's safe to talk about UFOs 
you're not really going to get in trouble, most likely. But anyway, Jason. I, 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 can I ask you, yeah. the two of you, a quick question about this? Have you noticed um, from your stories and the comments uh, that people write on your stories, because I'm noticing this on mine, that no matter how serious we try to keep the facts of various stories that we report on, a lot of the public still believes that media in general, at least in the United States, is being controlled by someone that uh, I've been accused of of writing stories, only stories that I've been told that I can write, that I have to run them past you know, upper management before I can do this. Have you guys noticed any, anything in this climate about whether or not people think that we are being controlled by someone? I think that always happens. We talked a lot about this last time you were on the show. Um, but, yeah, certainly, I mean, there's a conspiracy theories out there. Just uh, recently someone said that, you know, we're like a disinformation um, cover-up uh. organization. So... What can you do? But huh. Jason, your top story. Hmm. <laughs> well, it's hard to pick a top story, but uh, one of them. I know I could really disappoint you and say Boyd Bushman. No, I, I'm. It's got to come I'm up going, at some point. I'm not going to talk about Boyd Bushman. What I will talk about, though, is a story that I found very interesting because it went on for weeks and weeks and changed through the course of the story. Uh-huh. But there were uh, several UFOs seen in Colorado. Oh, yeah. And this was a great one because the UFOs were seen by, and you, I believe, talked about this uh, on your recent appearance on Coast to Coast, but uh, it was a news anchor who went out to do a story on these UFOs and actually saw the UFOs for himself and recorded them on video. And the way he described these UFOs was, really interesting saying that they moved through the sky they were hovering for a long time and then shot off at an incredible speed and the original story reported that the police the local police and norad were investigating the incident then uh a while after that norad issued statements the police issued statements the faa issued statements saying that there was no investigation at all that there wasn't any interest in it there there never was an investigation other than the police going outside and going huh there's something there and being done with it so the story continued to change and then the faa made their token response of we're not a ufo reporting agency we're an aviation safety and agency so we sent it to the national ufo reporting center um but the story kept changing the initial comments in the press from norad and from the police did say they were investigating then a, a follow-up story said we were never investigating the other interesting thing about that that uh, particular story was the ufos were later credited as being part of the google's loon balloon project they're these high altitude balloons that they're trying to bring internet to places of the country that don't have internet and in places uh, in the world as well um which has happened many times this year Google claiming responsibility for UFO sightings, which that's another topic. But these stories that latched on to this, I forget where it came from, but this explanation that it was it was the Google loon balloons completely ignored the description from the news reporter who observed these things with his own eyes and said that these things shot off at an incredible speed and out of sight. Balloons don't do that. 
See, I still agree with that, and it did come from MUFON, uh, a MUFON investigator. Uh, I think the Colorado guys, and they said, oh, we're writing it off to Google Balloons. And this is really frustrating because uh, it comes from uh, the year before balloons were seen in the area, and someone submitted it to MUFON. The guy actually didn't want to wait for them to investigate it, did his own research, he found the Google balloons had their own tracker, and you can go to these air traffic tracking sites and see the balloon transponders. He went and did that, saw the Google balloon transponders right where he had seen it, and he said, oh, I figured out their Google balloons. Sorry, guys, I know it's not a UFO. Uh, that even hit the local uh, paper out there. So he did some great investigation. So during this period of time, I actually went to go look for Google balloon trackers, whether balloons have trackers. Trackers. They even on these air traffic things will say uh, unknown balloon, so it will mark it as a balloon. So you can track weather balloons and such in the area. Nothing like that was in the area during these uh, sightings, at least the ones that the UFO, the reporter had. So that's why. It certainly could be a balloon, um, some of these sightings, at least the ones that are just the little dots in the air. And there's two things about that. One, we can't say it's a Google balloon if you can't prove that. That's poor investigating. I'm sorry, guys, but that is poor investigating. You can say it's possibly a Google balloon or some sort of balloon. If or the this evidence supports the likelihood. Yeah. yeah, or the evidence supports the likelihood if it if it demonstrates uh, maneuvering like a balloon. But you can't just say it's definitively a Google balloon. The other thing, my other gripe is, is with the FAA, because if there are balloons in the area that aren't registered and not supposed to be there, that is an air safety issue. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing. that I mean, that whole explanation that the, the Google Loon balloons have trackers is contradictory to what Google has come out and said about their balloons. Remember, they lost a balloon, and that's yeah. they, they claim that that's what uh, well, if you go to the Alan site, Epling it, saw. Um, it does say they have they, transponders. Well, and they also said, remember, there was a story that came out when uh, they were claiming responsibility for some others. They were saying that they use they, – they, uh, they rely on UFO hunters – to find their balloons. Which is ridiculous because there are, are hundreds of UFO sightings a, a month. To be able to sift through that to find what's their balloon is going to be Right, so there was a lot of difficult. ridiculous stuff with that that just didn't, yeah. didn't jibe. Yeah. That, that's like I, – I like to refer to these kinds of things as the Roswell syndrome. And, and by that, I mean going all the way back to Roswell, the, the first main headline – you know, that, that the military had captured a flying saucer and all of a sudden the next day it became a balloon. You know, it's, it's like it's so easy and it's so typical yeah. of of the military, of even the media and even UFO organizations changing their minds. You know, you can you can easily tell that that, that nobody's really doing uh, the proper kind of investigation because they're they're changing their minds too quickly. You know, you you cannot just rely on information given out on the same day that something was seen. You got to do some investigation before you close the book on it. Yeah, uh, it's very frustrating. Yeah, so I'm going to do my story. Try to move along because we're <laughs> moving out of time. My story is a, is a major, major kudos for John Greenwald of the Black Vault because yeah, he put in an FAA. So there is. 
When uh, often when the government releases a top secret document, it'll be redacted. Stanton Friedman uh, shows these NSA trial documents, and it's very popular. Uh, and he likes to show the the secrecy because these pages are all blacked out. You can't see anything. Interesting mm. enough, when the SA, and this is what Stanton Friedman's talking about is this NSA case, uh, a famous case in the 80s where the NSA was sued about uh, because they didn't want to release their UFO files. When they finally did, they learned because instead of blacking everything out, they whited everything out. And these pages are ridiculous. They're all whited out. Well, what John Greenwald did is uh, put in this thing where you get further disclosure, where they can uh, unredact, in other words, release more of the paper and less whited out. Well, his response after, I think, months and months, maybe even years, uh, a response finally came, and the NSA said they lost their UFO files. And this yeah. is shocking because Stanton Friedman's been talking about this NSA trial for years. It was caused Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, that uh, headed by a lawyer, Peter Gersten, who sued the government over these files. It was a big deal. It was a big news story. You would think because it was such a big deal, they would know they better hold on to those files. And now they're saying they lost them. So this is a little-known story. I mean, John Greenwald wrote about it when he – but it's, it's a big deal that they say they've lost these freaking files. It's so frustrating. Uh, many people question whether they lost these files at all. They just are, are saying that. But wow, these files that we've been waiting for for so long, and the NSA says they've lost them. Well, yeah, and many people you think know, that's the, a little too convenient that they just happen to lose their non-redacted UFO files. And it's such an easy thing for for a, a government or an organization within the government to say. I mean, didn't we just go through this about a year or two ago with the files over the Rendlesham Forest incident in England? Didn't well, they lose all that stuff too? Somewhere? They lost that. And Leslie Kane went through this with. Uh, the um, what is the one in in like Pennsylvania, uh, the case where she and Leslie Kane sued, uh, aided by uh, NBC and by John Podesta, uh, sued NASA to get the files from uh, this case. It was another crash in a forest, and they said they lost those files. They even brought Leslie Kane in and showed her, "Look, we don't have them. You can look yourself. We'll we'll help you out." So yeah. They're just losing their UFO files left and right. But it, it's so easy for them to do that. It, it's like, okay, one day we captured a flying saucer outside of Roswell. The next day it's it's a balloon. So now go away. Because because the, I think the, the powers that be who make these decisions, their attitude is, well, the public's not going to really know how to dig and find these things. We've got it. They're not going to get, they're not going to break into the National Archives and find this stuff because all the real good stuff is not even there. Nobody knows except us. So all we have to do is say we've lost the stuff or it never existed and, and nobody's going to be able to prove us wrong. <laughs> they're like, we'll look like idiots, but it won't be the first time. Well, that's right. It, it, that's right. It's it's funny. I mean, it's it's very easy to to criticize this, and and you know, a little. It seems a little too convenient for people. Certainly, the thing of conspiracy, but at the same time, it is very easy to lose things, especially when you're dealing with lots of files. 
I know I don't have many files, and I've lost files before. They, I can't imagine how many files they have. And I, uh, in my career, have worked as a uh, records management specialist um, dealing with thousands and thousands of files. So I, I can understand how files can go missing, but it's convenient that all of their UFO files just happen to disappear. But it's also interesting that the MOD, um, having released all of their UFO files, Found some more and released some more this this year. Well, that was going to be – since you've gone there, we'll open this one up because that was going to be my next story, okay. which is the Rendlesham Forest thing. And, and John Burroughs, major kudos to him, and he'll be coming to the UFO Congress this year, for fighting to get more files released. He said he kind of just got fed up waiting for UFO researchers to do this. And granted, UFO researchers are, are taxed with their time. Um, and often this has to be the case. He decided to put in his own FOIAs and got his files, uh, got the MOD to say, oh, look, we found some more UFO files, even though they had said they had released them all. So good job to John Burroughs, too, for uh, getting the MOD to release more files, although they say they have to prepare these files and they're not going to be out till September. Interesting enough, even though it was about January of this year that the MOD told John Burroughs they were going to release a file, but it wasn't until they released a press release just a couple of months ago saying uh, about this story in the UK that the MOD on the same day, um, and it caused a lot of confusion, we talked with Nick Pope about this on, on the last show, um, the MOD on the same day posted on their website that, oh, yeah, we found more UFO files from a FOIA from some UK person recently, and we're going to release those files. Even though John and I tracked down who this guy was, and this guy told me, oh, I was just going off of John's information. So instead of the MOD admitting that we told John in January we're going to release these files, they tried to make it look like it was uh, a FOIA from a UK citizen uh, recently that they're responding to. Regardless, yeah, they're putting out more files. So good job on John on doing this investigation. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. This whole freedom of information thing, sometimes I, I have to laugh because, you know, technically the policy is when you submit a, an FOIA request, the government is supposed to somehow respond and they can take as long as they want. They can, they can let you linger for years and hope that you'll even forget that you made the original request. But then they can just decide to, to get back to you and say, well, we, we don't have access to those files or that the, we can't find them or whatever. And it's basically they're taking their little steps to make you just go away. And I, you, you see that time Dirty and time bastards. again, and and that's why you know John Greenwald and his and his Black Vault, he he does an amazing job of digging into this stuff, and uh, you know I again you have to kudos to him. Yeah, great job. So your turn, Lee. Your next story. Well, for me, uh, re really. Um, the Malibu underwater alien base, you know, what? And, and this, the, and this, this is still lingering, only because we don't really know yet for sure what this thing really looks like. I, for one, would like to know what it looks like. You know, what what is it? Uh, and and basically, a few miles off the coast of Malibu, California, 
there's some kind of an underwater anomaly, if you want to call it an anomaly, just sitting there on the seabed floor. Google Earth images appear to show an oval-shaped object with a flat top and allegedly pillars or columns that seem to to be uh, either holding up the structure or marking the entrance of a dark inner place. And there, there's like a, a there, there's a movement out there that people think that could be an underwater alien base, and this is where the aliens or even secret submarines are using to go, you know, further into the California coast. It's a um, big. Ah, this this piece it's huge, right? It's like is it a couple yeah. of miles wide or something? Yeah, yeah, it 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 really is big. It uh, and geologists basically are saying it's just a natural geological formation based on uh, the fault lines on uh, how the how this whole area of California is is well known for the the fault line structure, but the thing itself measures about three miles wide. It's 2,000 feet below the surface of the water. And and I would like to see someone like director Jim Cameron go, take his submersible that he went down to see the Titanic with and go here. I mean, it's in Malibu. How far can that be from his house? And go down, see what this thing is, take some photographs of it, bring the photographs and say, look, this is all it is. No one has done that yet. And yeah, I but think that you even did a story where they did research this thing and they have a name for it. It's what called the Sycamore Knoll. Is that the, what it's the, Yeah, exactly. The Sycamore so Knoll. So what's the mystery? Can... Why go take pictures, especially if it's big? I don't get it. Well, I think the mystery is if you look at the Google Earth images, it is a really interesting looking thing, whether it turns out to be just a geological formation or not and part of part of uh google earth as as both mark d'antonio and ben hansen have uh have, have talked with me on a variety of stories is that you can't always um be conclusive about some of these google earth images be, because um th th there's questionable there it's it's like a google earth image um, depending on the on the angle at which something is taken, that sometimes the the computer that's putting these images together will fill in gaps, um, and so it leads us to different interpretations. Uh, See, I, I don't ben even Hansen. think if that is the case. Here's my thing: yeah. we should mention Jimmy Church. He's the one who discovered this and has been pushing this story um, from fade to black. Great guy, love the guy. I just don't see it, even with any anomaly or whatever from Google. Looking at the images, it does not look strange to me. Maybe because I'm from Colorado uh, and the <laughs> southwest and we have tons of mesas. I used to live next to the biggest mesa in the world, giant mesa, well, at least in the U.S. Um, but it, it doesn't look that strange to me. It looks like an underwater mesa, uh, big deal. Um, I just don't see that it looks like anything but a geological formation in any of the pictures, personally. Yeah, and, and you, you, you're probably right, and I'm leaning more towards that. Uh, our, our friend Ben Hansen had, had said to me that what Google normally does, and this is the same thing if people are, are finding things on the moon, using the Google moon Earth images to find what they think are uh, uh, extraterrestrial structures on the moon – 
Ben was telling me that that what Google does, they get their their data from different sources, including satellite radar, echo sonars. That's the stuff they're doing underwater things. But what what Google relies on is is an an automatic program to help make sense of what the what's in the picture. And he says we're dealing with information that is trying to clarify a graphic uh, because we can't always see. Uh, what's really there. So he says, so in the case of the underwater uh, anomaly, he says the blurry sections and edges suggest that an imaging processing has taken place just to render these final images. So that's that's why my, my idea is have somebody go down there with a submersible, great cameras, light the thing up, take some pictures, you know, and it'll be done. Then we can move on to the next thing. That, that's all. I think mostly people have moved on to the next thing. But I thought what was <laughs> okay. great with your story, your story was really good because you found, and this is why it's so, I, I think that, that, I think your story completely put it to bed because you uh, interviewed someone from the U.S. Geological Survey. Uh, you right. posted a picture where they have already analyzed this complete area. You posted a picture that shows this analysis. Um, it shows this sycamore knoll uh, and the entire area and explains the whole thing uh, geologically. Uh, I thought you put it to bed. I, I don't see any further mystery. What do you think, Jason? Mm. Well, there's <laughs> always going to be mystery. I mean, and and I understand what, what Lee is saying. I mean, it would be great to get the clearest pictures possible and to actually see it so we can show those people who are still uh, – Holding out hope or or fear, I guess that it's a secret alien base. Uh, that yeah. see, look, there's there's nothing here. No, that the blurry areas haven't been blurred out by a secret government organization. There aren't doors here for UFOs to come out of. But as we've said during this show and many other shows and many times before, it doesn't matter with some people how much evidence you put in front of them. They're still going to believe what they want to believe. So. Well, and it's yeah, coming least, upon and, and, the people who have this theory to prove it. So, um, yeah, I guess and, it's something and, and, Jimmy Church has got to do. At, at least, this is one of those rare cases where people are claiming this and they're claiming that, but this the the thing is still there. It's not like it's flown away somewhere and we have no way of tracking it. It's still there. So all you got to do is go down there, take some pictures, and then say, "Look, folks, here's what this is." Now let's you know put it to rest and go to the next mystery. Well, and if so you're, I'll, I'll tell them, if yeah. you're a UFO researcher or an alien hunter, then that's you would think that that's where you got to go. Go over there and find it, or do like uh, Michael Luckman, your buddy in New York, and and hold a uh, big concert. Yeah, yeah big, big I, UFO I, concert there that he wants to do to communicate <laughs> with the aliens in that base. Yeah, and Lee, and instead of the bus, what you should do is you should rent a submarine, and you should drive yeah. the submarine and take people down there, and you can talk over the, the radio and tell them all about the backstory. And yeah. It'd be great. I, I would buy a ticket to, to be shuttled around by Lee on a submarine to go check out the alien base. Yeah. You would. You would, would you? <laughs> I don't know. I think Michael Luckman's idea of having the, you know, UFO, UFO uh, anomaly, jam. You, you know, UFO jam or, uh, you know, like the UFO jam uh, Woodstock <laughs> version. Yeah. And apparently he's invited a lot of perhaps all of the top major rock and roll uh, acts in the world, uh, hoping that someone will, will come through. I even suggested to him in an email months he's ago. He's invited said, you know, them. 
I, yeah, he's invited them, and I said, but unfortunately, no one's uh, accepted. But I know someone who would. Who? I, I, I wrote to I wrote to Michael, and I said, Mike. There's a young Elephant. lady named Elephant. That's right. Oh. She'll she'll put on a free concert there. Oh, I <laughs> doubt sure. it. Just because she's you at you into UFOs doesn't mean she's going to work for free. Oh, that's true. That's true. But she would go there on on the possibility that she could find someone who could help her become an alien hybrid baby mama. Yeah, Jason, this will be your last story. I think we're pretty much running out of time. What's your next one? Well, uh, I will just mention a broad topic that uh, kind of filled the media this year, um, more so than last year. Last year we heard a lot about it, but uh, that's uh, extraterrestrial life and religion. Yeah. You know, there's so many stories about that. There were, you know, the Pope coming out and saying he approves of baptizing Martians, um, and then there was a poll saying that you know more brits believe in aliens than god but you know just so yeah. many stories looking at this and always it seems like every uh, media outlet that thinks of this topic they have a journalist who thinks of this topic writes about it like it's the first time it's ever been thought of but you know what'll what'll happen to religion when we find out that they're intelligent extraterrestrials but so many uh, mainstream media outlets did stories about that this year and you know with the with the vatican and and what they've been saying about extraterrestrial life I think it's got a lot of lot of people thinking about it and discussing that concept more about uh, what's going to happen to religion and really the consensus is nothing everything is just just fine. But uh, Lee, didn't you uh, interview Guy Consamano? I did. I interviewed him just a few weeks ago. Uh, um, for those who don't know who he is, he is uh, he's a planetary scientist. He's one of the top Vatican astronomers. And, when you know, it's funny. Whenever I say to people, do, do you know that there is not one, but there are two Vatican astronomy observatories that they use? One is in Italy and one's in Arizona. People go, what? Yeah, that they're, blows they're people away. Using, yeah, they, 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 people come back to me and say, well, wh what are they looking for? Good, interesting question. <laughs> I mean... You know, the, they are scientists, and why why would the Vatican be interested in things going on in outer space? And there are many reasons for it. Brother Guy, uh, he's involved with looking at at small objects at the at the rim of the solar system, uh, trying to find out you know what the origins of our solar system were. <laughs> uh, and, and and he's a guy, brother Guy, who doesn't believe that there's been any real visitation of Earth by anyone. Um, and yet he, he will also say that the Vatican, the stance is that there would be no panic in the streets if all of a sudden uh, we were told that we're, we're not alone in the universe, that uh, the Vatican pretty much believes that God's dominion would suddenly become a bigger place if we we're aware that we we have brothers and sisters living someplace else, uh, and the, one the, one of the reasons why I why I called him was to to get his take on the Star of Bethlehem because I was doing it as a pre Christmas kind of a story, and the, this the Star of Bethlehem is still considered a combination mystery of faith and science. Uh, some people say, well, it's not possible that a star could travel and then stop. And others would say, well, maybe it wasn't a star. Uh, maybe it was an unidentified flying object or a UFO of the times. Um, the Bible describes a lot of miraculous things like the Star of Bethlehem or 
godlike creatures coming down from the sky to interact with the citizens of Earth. And so I asked Brother Guy if he thought that these kinds of stories could result in a conflict between faith and science. And he says, no. He said, most people who think that, that there is that conflict, they don't even really know what science is, and they don't really know what faith is. He, he said, and, and this is a quote from here, he said, you can't do science without faith, and you can't have a religion without having some facts to rest your faith on. I thought that was a good quote. Um, but but still, he wouldn't he wouldn't come go that extra step and say, well, maybe there is some evidence that we're being visited, and you know I I put him in the same group of of people like um, Stephen Hawking and Frank Drake of the SETI Institute and Seth Shostak and Neil deGrasse Tyson who hosted the the most recent Cosmos um, series. These are all people who who know that they have the public's attention when they say things and when they say that it's kooks and weirdos who report UFOs and there's no kind of evidence all that they're really saying to me is they haven't done their homework mm-hmm. they just they just haven't done it yeah. and they shouldn't be they should not be making proclamations like this unless they've done their homework yeah it's disappointed when disappointing when you read that stuff but yeah i i love that you brought this up jason because i think this has been a kind of a banner year actually earlier this year or actually late last year i put together a talk on religion and ufos uh and uh it's mostly based off of uh ted peter's work and some others uh he's a professor of theology um who's done a survey on all of this uh to show essentially the same that religions aren't going to freak out even though the SETI guys push so hard saying the catholics are going to freak the catholics are going to freak well, settle down, dude. The Catholics say they're going to be okay, you know, uh, but they seem to keep pushing this. But yeah, uh, Guy Consumano wrote a book uh, this year. This other guy, David Weintraub, wrote a yep. book, uh, and that was a big deal. He's from Vanderbilt University, uh, an astronomer who wrote a book that uh, I've reviewed, and it's very similar to the talk I do, which is kind of cool. So um, I tried to look to see if I could glean some new information from him, but what we wrote was um startlingly similar but uh i love that you wrote this story earlier this monthly where you interviewed these guys because to me uh your piece on this is kind of the seminal piece that puts all of this together because you Mm. um wrote about all of this you interviewed weintraub you interviewed consolmano uh you you uh, refer to these uh, different surveys. So you really put this all together in a great piece that I think was really enlightening too behind, um, you know, why Consolmagno is into this and what he says about this and, and same with Weintraub. So I loved your piece on this. And, uh, yeah, it's just so interesting that, uh, really, especially, uh, the Catholics and, and the Vatican, are fighting so hard to demonstrate that this is not an issue. And I think they are going above and beyond to demonstrate that. I think in his interview with you, Guy Consolmagno was a little disingenuous in that he says, oh, I was just taken out of context when I said I'd baptize an alien. Well, not really. I've read all of his quotes, and he said this more than once. He said it several times over the last few years, and uh, he sure he may be joking, but he certainly was uh, trying to say that, you know, um, uh, 
uh, that, you know, that they could be, that the church would take in anyone, uh, but also his boss, and I can't remember his name right now, the, the head of the astronomy, <laughs> the Jesuit who's a head of astronomy, yeah. he has been... Funes? Yeah, Funes. He wrote yeah. in the Vatican paper a couple years ago, you know, very clearly that extraterrestrials would be uh, God's creatures and children as well. They would be our brothers and sisters. So he was more to the point in that extraterrestrials are okay with uh, with us and they can join the church if they like, essentially. Well, we, you know, we, we don't want to uh, forget that in May of this year, um, the big man himself, uh, Pope Francis, yeah. uh, sh- shook some things up and, and it really startled people really quickly. He was giving one of his homilies, uh, at the Vatican and he, and he said that basically he said, and this is a quote, he said, if tomorrow an expedition of Martians arrives, green men with a long nose and big ears like children draw, and if some of them come to us and ask to be baptized, what would happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it left people wondering why did he even mention this? Why did he even bring up Martians? Well, and according to your story, Consul Manio says he was talking about Jews, not aliens. Yeah, I, I mean, Consul Manio said, "Well, they they took what the what the Pope said out of context." He, he said to me, "The Pope wasn't talking about Martians. He was trying to explain what would happen two thousand years ago when people were saying that we should let." Gentiles or non-Jews into the church. He, he, the Pope was saying, you know, the Gentiles were as weird to them as Martians would be to us mm-hmm. today. So, so God, you know, brother guy said to me, the Pope was just being silly, tongue in cheek, and some people don't have a sense of humor. And I, and I said to him, but you know what, brother guy, when you're the Pope, and every word that you say, you know, people hang on everything that you say. You start talking about Martians in the year 2014, and you got to be really careful about the words that you choose, because whether people take it out of context or not, you shouldn't be talking about something that you have no evidence. Although, on the other hand, maybe he knows exactly what's going on. So yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult to know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, great story, Lee, um, and uh, hopefully everybody has read that, and we're essentially pretty much out of time, so it's my turn. The only thing I'll say, we can't get in-depth to it, but I was really happy this year that I finally released years of research into the MJ-12 origins and uh, Richard Doty and how these all came to light. I, I called the story a UFO disinformation scandal. Uh, Stanton Friedman doesn't like that title, but it is a disinformation scandal. If you look, I'm not saying I know definitively, you know, who is all behind this scandal, but the person who first told the world about MJ-12 is named Richard Doty. He says it was part of a disinformation campaign. That makes it a disinformation scandal. People need to know the details behind that, and that's why I work so hard to investigate that and get that story out there. So it's a video that's out there. It's been doing very well. Um, But just so everybody knows, I wrote a story called Top 10 UFO Videos. The Colorado story was one of them that was in there. I talked a lot about those uh, on Coast to Coast with George Knapp. But if you go to our story, Top 10 UFO Videos at OpenMinds.TV, 
at the bottom, I have a listing of a lot of the other great stories from this year. Uh, for instance, this wall painting in Rom Romania that we wrote about that looks like it has a UFO in it. Uh, we were one of the first, and it kind of came up again recently, but it was some uh, Israeli UFO researchers that found that and sent that to me, and I credit them and, and link to them in the story. But there was some weird UFO stuff that came out in WikiLeaks documents. Uh, yep. There was a tour bus that accidentally drove into Area 51. That one's hilarious. That was a, a really good story. Uh, there were these mysterious fires in Sicily that uh, people blamed on UFOs and aliens that uh, sprung up again. Kirsan Alumzanov, a president in the Russian Federation, who uh, is also a head of the Chess Federation, he won he his chess he retained his presidency of the Chess International Chess Federation, despite saying he's been abducted by aliens. So that's I think a really good, cool story. Um, Boyd Bushman. Uh, the Roswell researchers saying that they have pictures of aliens that they're going to show us uh, early next year. Uh, lots of really, really good stories out there. Uh, that uh, And, of course, at uh, the UFO Congress, a big story for us is we're going to have Bob Lazar at the UFO Congress. That's sweet. Uh, it's first public, really his first public appearance. Oh, yeah, and, you know, Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel talking to Clinton. That's another big one. That's right, um, right. So lots of really big stories that you could check out there. Lee and I both talked about these with George Knapp. But uh, big stories for us are we're going to have Bob Lazar. But also, I think this is really cool. Lee, you wrote about it. Thank you very much. I think this is a big deal that the Guinness Book of World Records says the International mm. UFO Congress is the world's largest UFO conference. Yay. It's also the best, Yay. if you ask me. Yeah. So exciting yeah, stuff we, that everybody can read at our sites. Any well any deserved. ending thoughts for you guys? Lee, you want to make you? I think you said you wanted to make a prediction. You're going to put well, on your Swami um, hat. Okay, my my Swami hat. I, I basically I'm going to say, and this is easy to tell. Th there's certainly going to be more weird UFO stories all year in the coming year. I I'm going to try and focus a lot more on talking to as many scientists as I can. Um, I, I would I would really like to take my own personal survey of scientists to get their personal feelings about UFOs and to try to figure out if so many of them prefer to keep their true opinions to themselves because of the possible negative effects that it might have on their individual careers or the funding of their careers. I would like to try and help scientists feel more comfortable opening up about this. I think that would be a really big deal to finally happen uh, with, with scientists. This seems more like a New Year's resolution and not a prediction. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 no, I predict that I'm going to do that, <laughs> okay? All right. Uh, I, I, okay, okay, here's an actual I predict we're going to see a lot more UFO videos posted on the Internet. Many of them will be cleverly created by savvy computer wizards of all ages looking for their 15 seconds of fame. Okay. Yeah, and their $1,500 from YouTube from all the hits they get. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. So that's my prediction. Jason, do you have any predictions or ending thoughts? I already made my predictions. I think we I love your have a very, very good shot in 2015 of obtaining some pretty definitive evidence of some sort of extraterrestrial life. 
That sounds good. My only I would, prediction. I would, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope for that too. Yep. I just want to say what a stellar year for UFO stuff. When I was thinking about this, and I do this every year, I think, oh, man, this is going to be hard to come up with some good stories for this past year. And I looked into it, and I like I'm looking at this huge list I have on this story. These are all great stories. There were so many great stories this year, and like we've just talked about, really important I think important things that happened. So, you know, another stellar year for UFOs. And uh, I think that uh, hopefully, you know, 2015 will top this year even. Me too. Well, I hope so. I, I hope for that too, because you know what? This is always a fun show. I enjoy rapping the year with both of you. Yeah. Rapping about rapping. So let's, the, the three of us have to make a pact. We're going to meet here same time next year to do it again. Let's do it. So until then, we've got exciting stuff coming up with Open Minds and with UFO Congress. We've got more spacing out coming. Uh, we had our last year one. If you haven't watched that, go to our YouTube and check that out. Um, also, we have the UFO Congress. We have a very important Really cool announcement that we will be making at the Congress. Uh, if you can't make it, we'll share that with you uh, probably on the next show and on our website after the conference. But uh, really exciting stuff that we have in store. Of course, we're excited about Bob Lazar, but we also have other great speakers there. We've got uh, these guys from Maine, uh, this Allagash abduction, another mass abduction. We're even going to have a panel about mass abductions that's going to be um, um hosted by the abduction researcher Yvonne Smith, another great person. She's going to be there to do the experiencer sessions. This is where people who feel that they've had uh, alien contact can go in the morning and the evenings and talk to a professional, and it's kind of a group therapy type of thing. So this is really cool. No media is allowed to this because this is very personal and private stuff. Uh, but otherwise, a lot of really cool stuff going on. The host hotel is packed. We always sell out the host hotel because we get so many dang people at this thing. However, we have really nice hotels that are a great deal just around the corner. They're really close. They're like a mile away or something. So uh, no worries. Just go to the website. You can see where these other hotels are, and uh, you can still get rooms. And uh, there are still tickets available, although we're getting calls like crazy and registration like crazy right now. So register ASAP to come to the conference. My prediction for the year is that I'm going to continue my love affair of our listeners because we just so appreciate every time we go somewhere and listeners come up and they talk about, uh, you know, loving the show and having known about whatever UFO event we're at because of the show. So it's really cool to be able to share all this information and get it out there and share all of these great events and to see you guys and, and to kind of, you know, I think it's important that we all feel like a community. So it's nice. Nice to meet you all and for you all to feel plugged into this community because um, I hope that you get from the show and I think people do that we love to hear from everybody that we value everyone's voice everyone's voice is important and even though we give each other you know um, heck and we may be critical of some of the other people we do appreciate everyone's work and uh, we do uh, love to share the information everybody is giving out there even if it is uh, something that we don't agree with or, or a method that we don't agree with you know we're not the end all be all it's our job to share the information not to make your opinions up for you. We respect your your rights to make up your own opinion. So 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, again this year. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and the closed music. You can find a link to his free music. He says he's got a new music coming out, too. Um, he calls his last EP The Clerk Chronicles. He's also an artist, so he does some comic book stuff there. Really cool guy, so you can check him out at our radio page. Um, I also want to take, thank the PSN Network, who airs this show. I want to thank uh, uh George Knapp and Coast to Coast for having Lee and I on recently. So I'm sure there's many other people I should be thanking. But uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Lee, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And thank you, Jason, for once again joining us. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yes, it's (laughs) always a lot of fun. So and thank you to the listeners. By the way, happy birthday, Jason. Yes, Jason. Happy, happy birthday. We won't ask how old you are, but we know you're just an old guy. He's 35. He's 35? <laughs> yeah, his birthday was yesterday, I I by the way. I don't, I don't remember 35. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you next week, people. Adios, muchachos.